Welcome to part two of this week's podcast. Sarah Newman, it's your turn. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you, Kurt? Very good. I appreciate you uh, sitting down with me for a few minutes virtually here. And you're from uh, Kaysville, Utah. Is that right? That's right. And you've served as Relief Society president. How long ago was your release from Relief Society president? Just in January of this year. Oh, wow. So what is that? Three months, four months, right? About three months. Yeah. So how long did you serve as Relief Society president? Probably about, I think it was around two years and three or four months, give or take. And this was actually my third try, too. And the first two times we ended up moving out of the ward before I was able to serve for the natural length of the calling. So this is the first time that I served the full length and then was released. Oh, cool. And now that's interesting because, you know, I've had callings where you move and it's sort of not that it's easier, but it's like everything in life is changing or so many things in life is changing that maybe the transition is a little bit easier because you sort of have a, a rebirth into a new ward and community. Right. And, whatnot, right? and there's this yeah. definitive end to it where you don't yeah. see those people anymore for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us the story about this one. How was it different? So this one was, well, I was called in August during 2020. So that would have been right in the middle of the mm. pandemic and the shutdown. And, and so that was different. We had also just moved into the ward in May of 2019. So when the shutdown occurred, we hadn't been in the ward a full year yet. And so we were just barely getting to know the people in our ward. And, and it was a struggle then to be asked to come up with names for secretaries and counselors and and I just didn't have any idea as to who would work because the calling that I had before that was family history leader with my husband. And you don't interact with many adults in that calling. It's mostly the youth. And that's great. It was fun. But it did leave me, at, I felt like a disadvantage for knowing who I'd like to serve with me. So that was different. And then just really not knowing anybody, a very, very small social group by that point. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And then, so you served in that role for two and a half years ish. And yeah. and then just, was there any, like anything leading up to the release that sort of helped prepare you? I'm afraid not. <laughs> and I think that was probably the hardest part. I had assumed that I would be going for the full three years that, you know, you hear about. And mm -hmm. so I was surprised when my husband was extended the calling that would mean both of us would be at word council. And that was the moment when I was like, oh, wait a minute, does this mean I'm being released? <laughs> and the poor, the high counselor who was extending the call, he's like, oh, the bishop will be, re will be contacting you soon. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Okay. And in that first moment. So was, your, was your husband being called to as elder scorn president or what was his calling? No, no, he was being called, called as ward clerk. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So yeah, he'd be in ward council. And so that was the yeah. first maybe signal. That was my first signal. Yes. And I think it was a day or two later that the bishop called us in to release me officially. And, and I was really surprised by my reaction because I was devastated. <laughs> and I cried when I got the calling because it was, it's a challenging one. And then I cried when I got released. I was so surprised by it. Because even with my other experiences with being Relief Society president, the move kind of kept me so busy that it was a true relief 
to be released. And this time mm-hmm. I didn't have that relief feeling. Yeah. And you said it surprised you. So, I mean, you had this first indication that, you know, your husband's called his ward clerk. Maybe there's a release coming that, you know, they, they told you to hear from your bishop. And so did you kind of start to feel that devastation just in that early process of thinking, wow, this yeah. may be the end? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I and I knew it I, by that point. I guess the bishop had said, oh, we've got something in mind for your husband coming up here soon. And I perhaps that was him giving me the clue. I didn't catch it. <laughs> if, if, yeah. uh, you know what I mean? So yeah, that was about yeah. the length or the breadth of my warning. Mm-hmm. And that's an interesting concept because I remember hearing from a bishop who's actually in Australia and, you know, he'd been serving five, six years, just really enjoyed the calling. You know, it was heavy and had had its challenges, but really appreciated the experience. And, you know, after five or six years, it really became part of his life, you know. And then he tells me about a, a stake president came over on a Saturday afternoon to his home and released him and told him it would happen the next day. And it happened. And oh. there's sort of this jarring experience of, of wow, you know, you didn't have much time for to process the, mm-hmm. uh, the oncoming mm-hmm. release, and it was just yeah. gone, you know, from one day to the other, and it really sort of tore at his soul a little bit. That wow, yeah. I didn't have time to process all these bishops and stake presidents. They've got a lot of things to consider, and we're not here to critique how they they do it. But that's maybe for something sure. to keep in mind for leaders is sort of give that runway to leaders of like, all right, maybe, you know, in six months, maybe we should look at this three months, you know, how are you feeling? What are you thinking about Maybe your replacement? And, and I think naturally that gives us a chance to transition out of these roles in a way that's less jarring. And, and of course, there's always, you know, a job transfer, uh, something comes up in the, the ward or like this, you know, the husband gets called mm-hmm. as the ward clerk and maybe there wasn't that opportunity. And so those things right. will come, but just to allow that process to begin a little, as slowly as possible, right? Right, right. I, yeah, it might be, might be like ripping the Band-Aid off a little more slowly as opposed to yes. <laughs> very quickly, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. I mean, I have no complaints really about the way our bishop did it. I, mm-hmm. I guess most of us, like you say, the, the culture surrounding these demanding callings is that why would you be sad? And why would you need yeah. notice, notice that you're going to be released soon? Because everybody's like, oh, rejoice. I get to do whatever I want now. And so that's what I was expecting from it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was expecting to be just, you know, oh, finally. But I really surprised myself. (laughs) Right. And so how would you respond to that? Like, why not, you know, Sarah, why not just be excited and and relieved by this? Like, what was, why didn't, why was uh, Mm -hmm. devastation there, not excitement for you? Okay. Well, this is... I don't know how much this would apply to anybody else. Part of it is, you know, the move here was a difficult one. And then to have the pandemic right after and not having that social support for a while, being in charge of Relief Society meant people had to talk to me. And, you know, usually they didn't act like it was a a total problem. But I knew that as soon as I was released, that would just disappear. And I would not be in contact with most of these gals. And in fact, you know, I think I've seen one of my counselors maybe twice since the middle of January when this happened and another counselor maybe three times. I mean, you just, you go your separate ways and you don't get to hang out as often with these people as you like. And, and so that was hard. And then word council, I don't want to say it was like, super fun. I mean, we were still working, but there was a camaraderie there that I knew I'd miss. And I have missed it a lot. And also knowing, you know, they're 
our sensitive subjects that they discuss uh, during that time and and knowing that I'm not going to get any updates. My husband is really good right. at keeping private things private. And so I know I can't ask him and, <laughs> and that's for the best, but I won't know what's happening in people's lives anymore. So yeah, that yeah. was a hard thing to say. You're involved, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. if, if someone's struggling, like you're on the front lines to help them. And that's a, that's a very for rewarding sure. experience. It's not that you need to be in every, you know, all the nitty gritty details of everybody's oh, no, lives, yeah. but to be a servant and mm-hmm. to act and, and serve in that capacity is really rewarding, right? Even though it's busy at times. It sure is. Yeah. And you get a sense for how much the Lord really cares for his children because you get that, the revelation, like some, a lot of times in the moment that you need it. And that is just such a sweet experience that I do miss that a lot. And I, I think that still happens like with my children and, and my husband and, and in just day-to-day ministering and so forth. But Certainly not to the same extent. Yeah, yeah. And you talked in the email you sent me. You framed it that that you cried for a full day. And I don't want to like dig into this or you know or pry into you know things that are maybe healed over a little bit. But wow, like this wasn't just that you shed a few tears in the bishop's office as right. you used to. Was yeah, like yeah. you said, devastating. So ex- unpack that for us. I wish I could. I, it still doesn't make sense to me because I've adjusted now and and I'm, you know, filling my time with the things that I couldn't do before. And that's been really nice. And I, I think it just goes back to just not being able to be with the people as much as, as I would be if I were still in the calling and just that yeah. closeness and camaraderie. I think like, what were the feelings behind the the devastation feeling? Was it like you felt abandoned or you felt lonely or I mean what what led to that devastation was it just that that loss of community and, and you've touched on that pretty well right so yeah loneliness is was something that I was worried about for sure and I did worry about whether or not I was being released because I wasn't doing well enough like we have a bishop who was I think he was put in at the end of summer okay so we'd only been serving about together for about four or five months when I was released. And I was like, oh no, it's because he doesn't like me. Now that's completely irrational. I know this, he was actually the elders quorum president when I was put in. And so we've worked together before. It's not in his nature to think that that's just completely what's going on in my head. But if he were not like that, that would have been a real fear. Like I can say it's irrational now because of, of who he is, but that was one of the things that crossed my mind. And I was, you know, had, I spent a few, some time like fretting over that. And so that was, that was hard. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that you recognize that, you know, some of these thoughts and feelings going through your mind now with hindsight, you can classify as, you know, irrational, but I think it's important that you say that because (laughs) the other people may just feel things that feel irrational later, right? Like, yeah, maybe I just didn't do a good job and maybe I'm not Right. I remember similar feelings where, you know, with a sound mind, I can say, oh my goodness, Kurt, that is such an irrational thought, but it's a real thought and that can lead into some devastation, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Yes. And I suppose if it were unchecked, it could really cause some painful relationships in the future, like me avoiding the bishop from here on out or, or uh, other such things. Yeah. And that's, you know, maybe, maybe in other situations, Somebody maybe doesn't know or that their bishop as well as you know your bishop, but to 
It'd be right. conversations in order, hey, three, right. three weeks or right. so. Can I just talk through like right. what, what happened? Did, did I not do a job? Like, can we just talk about it? Right. And there may be right. some good closure that comes from. Yes. Yes. And I stay, still may call him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think a good part of it is that, you know, it's time for my husband to have a turn because the poor guy, he stayed in the Temple and Family History calling until I was released and he knows so few people in the ward. So, I mean, it, it was time. And then I did have, let's see, shortly, like within three days of my release, I was diagnosed with a, a health challenge that it's almost like the Lord knew I was going to need some extra time because it's just, it's been a little bit overwhelming for a couple of months. And so I would not have been able to function uh, otherwise. So the timing was right. And so I don't have any fears on that point, but it did take a day <laughs> of crying. I think it's like just to give people permission to say, you know, it may take a day, a week, maybe a couple of weeks for you to just right. decompress from that mm-hmm. that experience to mourn it a little right. bit because you are losing right. a not community per se but a, a sense of connection and and some routine that really fosters mm-hmm. love and fulfillment in, in a personal right. person's life okay to sort of mourn over that right. let those feelings press right? right talk to me just sure. about the weeks that followed to going to church that first week or the second week and being <sighs> in a different role in the, in the middle of that what was that like the first couple of weeks were really sad. Well, and it took a couple of weeks before they were able to get the new presidency all all called. And so, you know, there are a couple of weeks there where I knew what was happening, but nobody else did. And so I'm feeling blue and trying to conduct meetings with my presidency while knowing that whatever we talk about, it, I didn't want to make any decisions that then the new presidency would have to, would have to do, you know, like I didn't want to set up a an activity for within a week of their being put in <laughs> and make decisions that they would have to abide by. And so that was a little bit awkward. And then while I did cry for that full day, there were still times after that, that I would just get weepy. And I still am surprised by how much that threw me for a loop. I was really, really sad. So yeah, it was strange at church. And then when she was, when my replacement was put in, she's a doll. She's perfect. I think she'll do a better job. <laughs> and I think it was a real tenderness, a, a tender mercy from the Lord that he kind of told me she's going to do things differently than you. I mean, that's one of the things that I worried about too. Like, is that going to be super awkward for me to be in Relief Society and watching all of this happen while they adjust? And and I didn't want that. I'm like, go ahead and put me in primary so they don't have to worry about that. But they chose something else for me in Relief Society. And and so that was a nice thing to feel that, yes, she's going to be doing things differently because she has different talents. And that's what the ward needs right now. So that was nice for me to feel like she's doing things differently. That doesn't mean that you did a poor job. And because she's having these great ideas doesn't mean that you didn't have good ideas. So that was important. Maybe this is a random question, but I'm curious as you were sort of, you know, going through this mourning process and this devastation process, did you feel any guilt that it was hard for you? Like Mm. any guilt that you weren't excited about it? That, I don't recall any guilt about that. Just surprised. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Because I I just worry that, you know, some people may feel a sense of shame that, man, I can't Uh. believe I'm, you know, it's sort of the other side of 
the aspiring coin, right? That we sort of uh, <laughs> discourage people aspiring to callings. And so you should somewhat feel bad if yeah. you want to be in a calling. You know what I mean? But yeah. Anyways, um, so. And perhaps, yeah, I see what you're saying. There were some moments where I was like, okay, it's time to let other people have their turn kind of thing is so that I, that I wasn't aspiring, as you might say. Yeah, but that's not something that really occurred to me so much. And perhaps it was helped along by the bishop when when we had our, our discussion where he released me. I just was so overwhelmed by it. He's like, oh, that's that's a it's a good sign that you really were putting your heart into this and that you were serving with with all your soul. And so using that or telling me that, I think, sort of relieved me of any guilt I might have felt in the, in the ensuing days, I think. Yeah. You mentioned this reception type this maybe it'd be framed better as just a small gathering of friends in right. in the, the ward council that got together and and that that really helped tell us that story yes so our elders quorum president's wife shannon she's a doll she just is always trying to ar- arrange gatherings for people to get together i think she understands the necessity of people spending time together and and i'm not sure what motivated her to do this but she just sent a text out to the bishopric and their wives, letting them know that on this date, we're going to get together and say, I can't remember if she said thank you or goodbye <laughs> to Sarah for her work. So just come over. It'll be super casual. I'll provide treats. And so I responded to the group text, as long as we don't actually talk about me, that it'll be great. We'll have a good time. And that'll, that's the only reason I'm saying okay to this. And I was really surprised that Three bishopric members and their wives and the elders quorum president and his wife were all there. All of them. I was really surprised that they would take that time out to do it. And it was just a nice gathering. And it sort of helped me be also helped me with that idea of we're not releasing you because you're doing a horrible job. It's yeah. just time. So that was yeah. nice. Yeah, I love that so much because on one hand, like, yeah, it would be a bit overdue or overdone to you know, have like this huge event where like, you know, oh like you're not looking for a, you're not looking to attend your funeral, you know, like this isn't a funeral. It's just like, but can you imagine doing that with every person that was released from any, you know, presidency calling? Right. I mean, yeah. you'd never, right. you'd never have time for anything else. <laughs> so yeah. it, was, it was very, I sweet. just love the, the, the super casualness of like, Hey, let's just quickly get together and recognize that this was something that happened and it was beautiful. And there's yeah, so much closure yeah. that can come from that. And it sounds like it was really a blessing for you to just sort of, you know, breathe into that closure and transitioning onto something new. Right? Yeah, it was very, very helpful. And they were very kind about not talking about <laughs> about my service. And, you know, I think there was maybe a joke or two at the beginning that, you know, was actually funny. We all laughed. And then we just chatted about whatever came to mind the rest of the night. And so that was great. Well, let me ask you just as a closing question here, if, if you were talking to an individual who is maybe in, in the middle of that devastation feeling of transitioning out of a calling, what encouragement would you give to them? I think I would say that this is normal and that it will pass. And if it you find it helpful, start focusing on some of the things that you sort of missed while you were serving and getting involved in those things. Like I've probably got a to be red pile about three feet high that I'm starting to hack away at and some other hobbies that I'd missed. And so we're doing that a little bit and 
And I think that that's been really helpful just to change my focus to other things and perhaps give my family a little more attention that they've been needing. All right, we'll head to Madison, Wisconsin with uh, Darren Bush. How are you, Darren? Doing great. Awesome. Now you, for those that are maybe interested or maybe they'll be more interested after our short conversation, but we did a a longer form How I Lead interview with your time as bishop and it was uh, very well received. So we'll link to that in the show notes. But maybe let's just jump into your story a little bit. How you were, how, how long ago were you released as bishop? It was in October. Yeah. So nice. the process is usually, I think it was like July and the stake president and I, we meet, we're friends, so we talk a lot. And he said, so we're starting to talk about, you know, the next bishop, who do you think? And I gave him a couple of ideas and he said, what about this person? I went, uh, that guy works 60 hours a week. And he went, what's your point? So do you. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Okay. And then he said, are you in for, could, could you do another year? And I said, no, it's not sustainable. I really can't. Yeah. And how long had it been at that point? Four and a half years. Okay. So yeah. coming up on my five years. And at the same time, I was building a new building for my business, which is incredibly stressful. And Bishop and running the business aside from that. And then I'm involved in a second business that I'm, I'm a I'm not a silent partner, but I'm, I certainly whisper more than I talk. So there was a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, so we got closer and he said, you know, we're having ward conference in October. If he will release you in October instead of November. So that's fine. That's fine. The person that they chose was the person who works 60 hours a week. And uh, he is an absolute gem. He is the sweetest guy. You know, it's not my ward, but you have some ownership and you turn it over yeah. to the next guy and hope that he keeps going and builds on what you've done. And he absolutely has. And uh, Bishop Nolte is fantastic. He's great. Yeah. So uh, let me ask, did, did you, so it seems like you had about like a, within the previous six months leading up to the release, you, you and the stake president were talking about it. You, you knew it was coming, generally speaking. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's not yeah. uncommon. I think Yeah. there's, they don't want to, I mean, as, as, as he says, you know, good information precedes good inspiration. And yeah. I know the people in my ward better than he does. I know how they work. I know what's going on in their lives. So he may not have that information. Yeah. Did you feel like, like leading up to it, like, was it like, like you mentioned there, you were, you felt ready to be released. Yes. If you serve another year, like, no, I don't think I really can. Right. So did you feel like the sense of, of relief that was coming? Like once that release gets here, was, was there any ambivalence uh, before you were released as far as what this may mean for you and, and just your personal experience? I was trying really hard not to be trunky. I mean, I wanted to <laughs> yeah. up till the very end and actually did. The afternoon I was released, I got a phone call from a member of the ward who I had been working with who was suicidal. And mm-hmm. so I went straight over there and then our new bishop showed up after that and I handed, handed her off. But yeah, it's the relationships that I built over the past five years aren't gone, right? That's kind of the tricky part. So did I have a, a sense of things were going to change? Not, I didn't really think about it. I tried not to. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, you can't be effective when you've got one foot out the door. Yeah. But after the transition, it was really weird because like I went home and logged in to my LDS tools or whatever it is. Right. And that whole bar on the side, clerk <laughs> and leader resources is gone. Yeah, like, very simplified. I've been released for 15 minutes and they've shut that off already. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess I know how I, I fit in now. <laughs> but yeah, it was, I made a conscious effort to be 
inconspicuous for a couple months after I was released. Yeah. And then tell me about just the day of being released. Was it, I'm sure as typically is a lot of mixed emotions and whatnot. Any, any other way you'd frame that, that day? Yeah. I mean, I, I got up and said, what I'd say is that I still love you. That's not changing. I'm still here for you. That's not changing. You have a wonderful new bishop who will be here for you, but I'm still your friend. You know, I'm not Bishop Darren now. I'm just Darren. And and the youth are like, well, Uncle Darren. So, but I still, there's a couple of youth that are semi-active and they still sit with me during sacrament meeting. And, you know, I don't know if they'll stay, if they'll come around or what, but I, but for now they come and, and they know I love them. So that's kind of still what I still, I fellowship the youth that I've been close to. I still hug all the widows because new bishop is really sweet and kind, but he's not a, he's not a hugger. Yeah. So that's expected. But, but yeah, I went home and went, just felt the sense of relief. Like I'm not, I mean, I felt physically lighter yeah. and my wife said, you look different. And I didn't realize how heavy it was until I took it off. Yeah. And then it was like, that, yeah, that's a, I remember that feeling as well. You don't realize, you know, those weeks after my release, I just f- remember feeling like, wow, my head, I'm not, I don't have like brain fog at the end of the day. Like, this is interesting. You know, I didn't realize it was there until it's gone. Right. Right. And I talked to a friend of mine who's a former area 70 in New York and he said, you're going to walk around like a lost puppy for the next four months. Just get used to it. Yeah. Because he's been a mission president or he's done all that stuff. And he was a bishop. And he said when he was released, it was like, okay, now what do I do? Because I've been in a bishopric or bishop for like 13 years. And I don't, you know, what do you do? Right? Yeah. I sat with my wife and it was weird. Nice, but weird. The thing that I missed the most immediately was looking at faces. Mm. And our new bishop, Mark, he gave the most beautiful testimony the month after I was released, where he had gone to a friend's wedding at a, was a Catholic or Lutheran church, this big, ornate, beautiful church, all this stained glass in it. And he said, you know, and our chapels are pretty, you know, mundane by, by, by that standard. He says, but then I look at your faces and you guys are the stained glass here. And I just went, yes, it's exactly right. Yeah. And the thing that I missed was sitting on the stand, looking at all the stained glass, looking at all the people. And going, oh, I love them. I love them. Oh, I need to talk to that guy. Oh, I need to talk to her. Oh, they're overloaded. We need to find some help for them. And, you know, that opportunity to just to look at their faces was a huge gift that I didn't realize until it was gone. Yeah. Tell me more about that lost lost puppy phase uh, a little bit. You knew, obviously, with any transition, it's going to be a little awkward. Now you're sitting with your wife, you know, but what surprised you early on in the in the weeks that followed about the that lost puppy phase. How lonely I was. And it wasn't the members. The members and I, we have the same relationship, but for, you know, 12, 13 years, I've been sitting in a room every Sunday morning with, you know, four or five men that I love like friends and brothers and our Relief Society president. And all these people that I worked with intimately were suddenly absent from my life. And it isn't like I didn't see them at church, but they had the same thing. I mean, they had moved on, right? I mean, not, that sounds horrible. They had moved on. But like the, my first counselor was now in the primary. You know, my second counselor was now, I don't know what he did, I think in the primary well as well. And um, third counselor was called back in because he's the Latino branch, essentially. Former clerk became the first counselor. He was one of my shortlists for bishop. One of my best friends became executive secretary. And so, but this... It takes a concerted effort to still have contact with those people and to plan activities where you can get together. And it's different, obviously. It's very different because we're not talking about the welfare members of the board. 
we're talking about ourselves, but they felt the same way. My second counselor came by the other day to pick up a book that I loaned him or no, to drop off a book that I lent him. And, and he's like, I said, how are you doing? He's like, I miss you. I said, I miss you too. So that loneliness, and it's exacerbated by, I made a deliberate choice to not be present for at least a couple months. I mean, I was there, I was traveling a lot. When I was there, I was back rowing it, right? And most of that's just to give the new bishop a chance to get his own feet under him and establish his, his style with the members. You know, I have a big personality and I'm, you know, well-loved by the members. So I needed to not be present. And that was hard, right? Because I'm like, okay, yeah. here's people I love. I'm going to go hide for a while. So I'd say I went to church every other week for two months because I was either traveling or actually I was traveling a lot, which good. That was yeah. Yeah. sort of need an excuse to get out of town a little bit, right? Well, and I think my wife on vacation, we went to France. And so that was good. So just having wife time for the first time. Yeah. Long yeah. Time. You know, you mentioned the loneliness and, and I appreciate how you framed that. It wasn't that you know, suddenly the the members of the reward were rejecting you or dismissing you or whatnot, but it's just, it's such a dramatic shift of dynamic that you, just those natural connections that would happen so organically, you know, on a Sunday or in a meeting and they're, they're just gone. Right. And there's, I think there's like, it's important to sort of mourn that transition a little bit of being like, wow, you know, just that sweet exchange you had with a, a friend coming over to your house and being like, wow, I just miss you, you know, and that, and, and feel that and recognize that rather than feel like oh, I shouldn't, you know, something's wrong with me or I shouldn't feel this way or whatnot. It's just, there's a mourning that does happen in these transitions, especially with the relationships that we're involved. Right. And, and I would say, you know, if you've got, when this happens in your ward, be compassionate to the former bishop yeah, and make sure you still talk to them. And I didn't have that problem. People still talk to me and, you know, there were couples I was working with who, got it together and you know we still talk and they still hug me and we still love each other and that's all great but yeah i had a really ex interesting experience the year before i was released i was visiting utah visiting my mom and her sister is married to my favorite uncle he is just a gem and uncle lee lee kimball anybody knows lee kimball nice one of my favorite people in the world he had been a bishop many times he'd been everything right and we sat down and we were talking. He's like, so how long you been in? I said, about four years. And he said, so you got another year? I said, yeah. He's like, don't go inactive. And I kind of laughed. He said, no, I'm serious. Don't go inactive. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, it happens a lot. He says, um, I've seen it. You get out of being bishop, you're released, and suddenly you don't have a job. And it's like you don't have a calling, but you don't have that intensity. Mm -hmm. And you don't feel like you're really needed anymore. And you're tired. You're exhausted. You've been exposed to some of the worst parts of humanity, right? A lot of the things that happen as a bishop aren't, they're not all beautiful. It's mm -hmm. not sunshine and roses. And you're just tired and you just want to be done. And I said, huh, okay, whatever. And then after this happened, I'm like, I totally get that. I totally get wanting just a break, just be away from it for a while. And I, I couldn't do that, right? But I understand why he said that because it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's him being real. And that was me going, yeah, he's right. Yeah. And because in a sense, everybody that leaves these, these heavy leadership callings, you are inactive in some sense because you were so active before, right? And then, so it's easy to just sort of follow that momentum and just disengage on so many levels and just to really check in with yourself or have that support community around you, whatever that looks like. Just be aware that that, that can happen. I've seen it even, you know, I think, 
any leader, well, I mean, generally speaking, I've seen many that even fall into some regrettable sin and rebellion that way just because they, they've lost their identity. They sort of had their, the scripture study for so many years was about helping that sister that, that you've been meeting with or helping the, the young man, you know, develop. And then that those outlets are gone. And then you almost don't know how to do scripture study just to build your own relationship with God sometimes. You know, that's maybe a crude way of articulating it, but those are dynamics that happen. That's a valid point. And I think the way to not have that happen is not don't have your identity wrapped up in being a bishop. And I've seen this where it's like they become the guy, right, that has to fix all the problems, answer all the questions, be the, you know, the father of the ward in a, in a pathological way right? You don't have to be the guy. And if you're wrapping your identity around a calling like that, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. I don't care what calling it is. If it's bishop or state president or mission president, you're still you. And, you know, my relationship with God didn't really change while I was bishop. It hasn't changed after that. I'm still Darren, you know, I'm still, I'm still just me. Yeah. And I think you had an interesting way of going about that. If people go back to listen to our first interview, just, you know, because even after these callings, you know, we the old adage, once a bishop, always a bishop, right? So they still want to call you Bishop Bush or Bishop Darren or whatever it is. But mm-hmm. to sort of invite people after these roles, like, hey, just call me Kurt now. You know, I know that, you know, I've moved from the area where, where I was the bishop and the stake president. So most people don't even know that I, I te- technically am Bishop Franco, you know, <laughs> but it's sort of a good thing that I don't, that to happen naturally that I'm just Kurt to these people. And, and I think, even in these roles, if we can figure out how to separate ourselves, our personal identity as a member of the ward from these callings, because after four or five years, you're right, you get so wrapped up into that identity of that people even don't even remember your first name, which can be unfortunate. Oh, they always remember my first name because I. Yeah. <laughs> and somebody called me Bishop Bush recently, and I just said, stop. Okay, there's two kinds of bishops there's the calling and there's the priesthood, right? Yeah. There's, there's the priesthood, you know, position, the office, right? The office, or and then there's the calling, and they're two different things. I don't call my friend doctor in the grocery store. In fact, I don't even call him doctor in his office. There's bishop as as the office, and there's bishop as you know the priesthood. I think they're two different things. And while I'm technically still a bishop, yes, but I don't think it's healthy for people to to call people former bishops, bishops, I think there's an ego involved that I'm not comfortable with. Yeah. That's my opinion. I'm sure there's, there's, there's cultural things. I know there's some places where you're, you know, you're bishop forever. Yeah. yeah. That, that makes me nervous. Right. And I remember sort of moving into some wards and just in a casual Sunday school type of setting, the teacher calls on somebody and calls him president, whatever. And it's sort of like, it sort of shifts the the dynamic of, oh, you know, this person is sitting on a pedestal. <laughs> and this is why I like the temple. In the temple, yeah. it doesn't matter. You're sitting next to an apostle. It yeah. doesn't matter, right? And it shouldn't matter, even in the church. It's like we're all alike unto God. Right. So anything, you mentioned that loneliness after, you know, now we're what, about six months plus from removed from that release. I mean, what have you learned or adjustments you've made or things that have helped you during that time of combating that loneliness? That it has to be an intentional decision to make to not let that just go away, right? To be very aware of, of the fact that you're you're lonely, to accept it, and to reach out to people uh, in your ward. I've had more 
young couples over for dinner, for example, who have moved into the ward because we're, you know, heavy in, in the university wards. So, or university worlds and people move in and, and just kind of being, you know, a grandpa to their kids and being a support to them. And that is, that's very fulfilling. You know, it's not a formal calling. My formal calling is I'm an elders corps instructor, which has been interesting because I'm trying to not do the, when I was bishop, this is blah, blah, blah. I, mean, I don't bring it up, but everybody yeah. there knows it, right? So yeah. I still have this air of gravitas that I wish I didn't have. I'm just one of them, but it's been, it's been good. And the elders quorum, you know, I said this, my first lesson, you did a, a podcast about elders quorum being broken and it's like church wide broken. And it is, it's a mess. So we talked about that. My first lesson talked about vulnerability and about admitting you need help and about having some mm-hmm. fellowship and let's be brothers in truth and not just in name. And then we have a new elders quorum president who I dearly love. He's young and very earnest and very willing to be vulnerable and to share the things that we're all having the same problems. We all have our stuff. And uh, I did a survey. I handed out pieces of paper. I said, okay, on a scale of one to five, one is my life's perfect. Five is my life is falling apart. Three is it's hard. Four is I'm some days I fall apart. Some days I don't. And I had everybody handed in and I made a histogram on the back of the board and flipped it around threes and fours. That's all. And no one would ever raise their hand and say, my life's really hard. Right. But you, here's the data guys. And one of them said, yeah, I'm a four. I'm a medical resident. My life is horrible. <laughs> and we're here for you. You know, we don't, I don't have any friends. I, I, I work all the time. You know, it's my work and my family. I don't, I haven't been out with guy friends for six years and having those conversations. So my, my new calling is to try and make elders quorum real. And that's adjacent to what I was doing before. It's just in a smaller, a smaller way. Anyway, yeah, that's probably not even relevant. <laughs> no, no, I, I love it because, and that's so important is you have to, you know, naturally, I think the dynamic is, of course, the new bishop sort of doesn't want to leave you on the sidelines, right? They want to get you busy, they get you a calling or that maybe the, you know, it's typical, the stake will put a former bishop on the high council or whatever. Oh. And, and that's, a, that's great. And, you know, have a formal calling, but to have this like inner sense of like, actually, I'm going to take a step forward. I'm going to find meaning in relationship and stimulate community because that's what the blessing of like a bishop, that role is It's so involved because you're so connected with people, right? And so I, I love that example of you doing that and what people could frame as, oh, you're just the elder scorm instructor, right? But that's so much more than that. It's funny as my the state president said, okay, so what do you want to do now? I said, nothing for six months. And he said, oh, come on. I said, he said, what about steak? And I'm like, I do not want to stake calling. He said, why not? I said, because all you guys do is meetings, right? There's no ministering at the stake level. It's just administration. And that's yeah. fine for some people. But, you know, if you made me the stake financial clerk, I would, I would wither up and die. That's not me. And he said, what about high council? I said, I've done that before. No, I need to be with my people. And he said, okay. So I got four months of just ministering, 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 and then they called me Baylor's Quorum instructor, and that was that was good. That's a good spot. Yeah, it's a good That's spot. Awesome. And again, there's like just that community, that connection that that can facilitate and feed your soul a little bit. And in my own experience, you know, just I've uh, found such connection and relationship and community in you know every. Every other week or so, I'll invite a handful of, of men in my ward or in my neighborhood over for a movie night. And 
just having those moments where you're sitting down and having a real conversation like that feeds my heart enough to that, you know, I don't have to rely on, oh, well, I need, you know, I need another calling that, that helps me connect with people because it can be quite easy, even though it's heavy as, you know, as a bishop to do that. So just finding these, these ways to insert yourself into the lives of people in a way that's, that's focused on ministering can really be a blessing and, and uh, help alleviate that loneliness that a leader may feel. Yeah. And Jesus is all of his important interactions in my opinion were one-on-one, right? Yeah. It was always yeah. him and one other person, you know, the, the impactful relationship, uh, Jesus preaching to a crowd is one thing. Jesus sitting down with Peter or sitting down with the woman at the well um, and the woman taken in adultery, all those people, it was a one-on-one thing. And that's where the magic happens as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, just to wrap up, Darren, what if you're speaking to that one, the leader who's maybe been recently released and they're feeling similar feelings or that loneliness, what final encouragement would you give to a leader like that? They can call me if they want to. <laughs> <Love it. laughs> um, just find a way to keep serving is authentic to you. And a lot of times say, you need a calling right away. I said, you don't have to do that. So, okay, we're going to put you in, we're going to put you here right now. It's like, just breathe a little bit. It's okay to say, no, I don't want a calling right now. I need to process this. And they were very respectful of that. So yeah, don't jump right into something just because, oh, we need a primary teacher. Okay, you're here. It's like, that's not where you're supposed to be. Don't go. Julie Kaiser, welcome to the Leading Saints podcast. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here. And we're going to jump right into your story about being a leader and that transition out of leadership and what that was like. And maybe just tell us what type of leadership roles, like official leadership roles have you had in your in your time in the church? Well, I've been really lucky to have a lot of leadership roles. I've served in every presidency, auxiliary presidency, uh, four Relief Society presidencies, three primary presidencies, one young women's presidency. Most recently, the Stake Relief Society president of the YSA Second Stake here in St. George, Utah. Awesome. And so, yeah, that's my most recent one. And generally speaking, we say, I mean, you really enjoy these leadership roles. How would you articulate the, the enjoyment you get from? Absolutely love it. I love to serve. I love to get to know a lot of people. That's one of the great things about a calling like that, especially in the Relief Society, you get to go visit new women who move into the ward or whatever. So you have an opportunity to really get to know people in the ward a lot more closely than maybe you do in another calling. So for me, I'm a social person. I love to be around people and serving in leadership positions for me has helped me to thrive. Yeah. And I mean, it really does put you at the the center of all the happenings, right? And it really does. You're part of the decision-making process, you know, Mm -hmm. in different councils and and your your voice gets to be heard a lot more than maybe other people in the ward, you know, who aren't in these leadership roles. So yeah, you're in, right. the, you're in the thick of it, right? You, you really are. And I love being there. You know, that's where I really enjoy, like I said, getting to know people, but also just maybe using some of my talents and things that I've been given to share. So that yeah. it is, it's a good place. I love it. So tell me just this. Uh, so you were, was a second counselor in the Relief Society presidency of a YSA stake? Is that- I was the stake Relief Society president in okay, the gotcha. second ward here in St. George. I shouldn't have even said second. That probably threw you off. Oh, okay. just, I was the stake relief society president. Oh, in gotcha. A stake. Gotcha. 
Okay, and that typically, and, and that sort of shifted as of recent that now yes. that those those roles are being filled by uh, yes. young single adults themselves, but mm-hmm. uh, it was very typical for that to be, I forget what they call them. Well, we were the young single adults, but then there's also like, I think it's mature. Oh, yeah. I don't even know what they call the next age, but it's <laughs> up to 31 and then they move into the next level, whatever that's called. I'm not sure what they call it now, but yeah. yeah. And you're married, right? I am married. Yes, I've been married <laughs> so almost your... 37 years next oh, week. Cool. Awesome. And we That's have great. five children and six grandchildren. And it was your husband also serving in that YSA? He was. Day? He was in a bishopric for three years, three of those years that we served. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah and those callings, again, that can be a lot of fun, right? You're you're involved with oh. YSAs who are some of the best the, the best demographic in the church to, to, so they're true. fun there there's lots going on there's activities right and then it's uh it's fun to be it's almost like a mission type of dynamic where your husband sort of has his role and you have your role and you're just enjoying those years being in the, those roles right absolutely and also having you know being empty nesters and finding ourselves with a lot of more time to yeah. serve we had two girls first and then we had three boys and our boys were very very active in sports and so were we. That's mm-hmm. what we, they were two years apart and they were, you know, they did all the athletics and so all the sports. And so it was really kind of this, whoa, when our last one went on a mission, you know, it's kind of like, what are we going to do with ourselves now? And shortly after he left is when we got called literally within, I don't know, less than two months. And it just felt this, filled this void that was just really amazing for both of us. Yeah. So maybe as uh, Start us from the beginning of the end uh, with the, okay. the transition of out of that calling and how that went and just some of the, you know, the feelings you went through. Sure. Okay. So we got called both at the same time. He got called into the bishopric and I got called as a Relief Society advisor for the same ward. And it was all the kids that would pull from our stake and another stake. So knew lots of the young single adults. They were a lot of my kids, my boys, friends. So anyway, just loved it. Absolutely loved it. He was in the bishopric. So there was a lot for me to assist him. But then also I got the opportunity to assist the Relief Society presidency in the ward. So on a ward level and just absolutely loved it. Loved it so much. And I did that for about 14 months, I think. And then we got called into the stake president's office, the YSA stake president's office. And he extended a call to me to be the stake Relief Society president, which I had no clue was even coming, but was very thrilled, like overwhelmed, of course, as we are when with a big calling like that, but just ready for it. I felt like the Lord had really prepared me. Like I didn't know it, but you know how in hindsight you look back and you're like, wow, he has been preparing me for this calling. So I just jumped right in, just absolutely loved it. And certainly still got to help my husband on the ward level because stake is a little bit different where there's a lot going on and then may, maybe not quite as much, but lots of training of the, the presidencies and then training. I had advisors for every ward. So just a lot of really great interaction with just amazing people, just really mm-hmm. amazing people. So fast forward to three years is up, really hoping that with COVID, I got called in June during COVID. So it was a little tricky and things were a little different than they normally would have been. We didn't get to have as many activities and certainly not as much interaction as we had had before COVID. But And, and let me ask you, Julie, so was it ex- when you received the call, it was pretty standard that this type of call lasts for three years? Is that uh, three to five? Okay. Is what I was told. My husband 
was told three years in the bishopric, but you can serve in the YSA, you know, not can serve, but you know, they, they try to keep you no more than about five years. And Mm -hmm. hopefully that's so that a lot of people have an opportunity to serve because to be honest, it's one of the greatest callings in the church, in my opinion. Yes. It it truly is. The wealth, right? (laughs) It, It truly is. So that may be why they limit it. But anyway, so he right at three years, a lot of the other bishops had been, they stayed longer. They had six months, eight months, nine months extensions because of COVID. But my husband's Bishop Brick got released to the day of three years. And I don't want to get into all of that because that's not what we're talking about. But part of that was because our bishop had served for two years as the high counselor. And so he was at his five years. Hmm. And so we feel like maybe that was why, but there's a lot more that is involved in that, that I don't want to talk about right now. But so anyway, I went in, that was in April, a year ago. And I went in for my PPI the end of April to talk to the stake president and just kind of getting a feel for what does this mean for me? I've only been in my calling, not even two years as the stake relief study president, been serving three in the YSA, but only two, not quite two. And so I was curious now that my husband's been released, what does that mean for me? And he said, oh no, we don't have any intentions of releasing you. This is a three to five year calling. And so I just felt really good about that. I was really excited, not sure what my husband was going to do, but that's okay. You know, he doesn't need to be in the YSA to help me and to come along and serve, you know, alongside me somewhat. But anyway, so he did tell me though, that they were having a big coordinating council coming up and that there were some changes that were coming and he had no idea how that was going to affect me, but there were changes coming. So, you know, I didn't know much more than that. And then three weeks later, we had our stake executive council that we meet once a month on a Wednesday night. And we go in and we're in the high council room and it's my presidency and I were sitting across from each other at the high council table. And then the rest of the high councilors and the whole stake presidency. And the stake president pulls up this PowerPoint and he starts going through it. And my eye, the only thing it went to was the very last line that said, release all mature adults by June of 2022. Mm. And I was like, whoa, okay. And he talked about releasing some high counselors and putting in the YSA into the high counselor positions and eventually releasing the Relief Study Advisors. I mean, he said everything, but never once did he mention me and my presidency. And I know why he didn't do that because he didn't want to have to say that. But mm-hmm. anyway, at the end, of, I didn't want to interrupt him. So I just let him talk and you know, just talked about all different kinds of changes and things that were happening. It was coming down from leadership up north. He didn't say anything about it being the first presidency or the 12 apostles that was making some changes. And so when he got done, I said, so are we, you know, is, does that mean the stake relief study presidency will be being released? And he said, yeah. Hmm. And of course we were all really, really disappointed. So we chatted afterwards just with my presidency. We were all really disappointed, but we thought, okay, we've got to the end of June we're going to just make the most of this and we're just going to enjoy every minute. Well, it wasn't till it was a week. That Sunday was the president Nelson when he addressed the YSA. And so went to that and I kind of saw some talking with the stake president and one YSA girl that I kind of had a feeling could possibly take my place. And, you know, I just kind of was observing and watching. And sure enough, the following Thursday, literally a week later, I got a text from the executive secretary saying, can you and your presidency meet on Sunday at 830 in the morning? 
And the only reason why you meet at 830 in the morning is so that at nine o'clock at that first sacrament meeting, mm-hmm. you're announcing a new stake pre- Relief Society presidency. And it was really difficult. It was, uh, yeah, I said, do I have to come? I mean, I was only teasing, but I'm like, do I have to come? But, yeah, you, you know what you're, what they're going to say anyways, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, so anyway, yeah, we went to my counselors were out of town. So we just FaceTimed with them and they thanked us and released us. And I could hardly speak in that meeting. I was very emotional, you know, tried to control my emotions, of course, and not be weird, <laughs> but just very, very emotional conversations with each of the stake presidency members, sharing my concerns, knowing full well that a YSA can certainly serve. There's not, that's not the question. It's just for me, one of the things that I feel like was a strength for me was my ability to kind of see the one who needed maybe some extra attention and some help because I am a mom of kids all that age. I'm also a lot older and I've been through a lot. And I found myself really kind of finding girls who were feeling alone or really sad or whatever, and just noticing. And so going up and talking to them and then receiving text messages later, you have no idea what that meant to me. I can't go talk to my mom. So I'm so grateful that I have you to talk to, you know, just some of these emotions and feelings that are coming up for me that I know that a 27 year old girl can stand up there and give an amazing talk. And I know she can also you know, be in the midst of it and, and maybe even lead and train and all those things. I don't have any question about that, but why have I, you know, not worked, but why have I prepared all these years to be in this position where I've got time, I've got the testimony and, and the wisdom and maybe the experience behind me and I'm ready to share all that. And so for me, a lot of the emotion came into what I can't, do anymore there. And we happened to have moved in the meantime, just to a townhouse for a short time. And so we were in a new ward when we left. We'd been in our old ward nine years. And so just really lost and without a purpose and just feeling like kind of gypped, to be honest, because I really had it in me. I was all in a hundred percent and I feel like it got cut short. Yeah. No, that's a, Hearing my voice, I'm I get a little emotional. So maybe it's time for you to ask me some questions. But that's (laughs) kind of my story. Yeah. And you know, there's this component where, yeah, just with some administrative changes, it felt like it got cut short. But I would imagine even at a full three, four years, you know, you'd you'd still experience some of these things like it's like it's over, you know. For sure. It's been such a blessing, you know. And and it's interesting, and this is, you know, this isn't a critique of how you're framing it at all, but naturally we want to frame it or sort of uh, buffer all this with like, yes, of course, you know, this YSA can do a good job. Yes. Others need an opportunity. Yes. This and that. And I think it's really important for leaders just sort of breathe and say, but it still hurts, you know, it's still, it's still painful, you know, and it's not that anybody did this to me or the stake president act did handle it wrong. Like, I mean, no, right. Yeah. It's just, the hurt, you know, that, wow, yeah. this is over. It's just over and quicker than I expected. Yeah. And then just this feeling, and this is, this feeling is the more I do work within the context of leading saints and meet leaders around the world, this feeling of, I have so much to offer, but yeah. for what? Like, but I'm not given a context in which to offer it. Right. right. Um, and these positions do such a good job 
at allowing us to offer what God has blessed us with, you know, and that's a beautiful thing, but then it doesn't last forever. No. And when it gets taken away, you just kind of feel this, like I said, kind of lost, like, where do I have an opportunity to bear my testimony and share what I, my knowledge and the things that I have learned about the gospel, good and bad, not bad about the gospel, but just about life, you know, just Mm -hmm. adversity and hard things. And I want to share a little quick story about you really quick, if you don't mind. Oh Um, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) The way, (laughs) the way that I was even introduced to you was a long time ago, you had an interview with Jody Moore Uh and you shared, and I don't, I am not going to tell the story for you. I'm just saying there was something that you said in there that was so empowering for me as a human being, as a member of the church, that I can't tell you how many times I shared with these some of these struggling mm-hmm. YSA girls. And what it was, was your story about the scriptures being on your desk Oh yeah, and how you know, you kept wanting to pick them up and you didn't and whatever. And it came to you later, basically, you know, there's a beautiful story there, but Basically, the message was, if you don't pick your scriptures up ever again, I will still love you. Mm-hmm. And that was so impactful for me personally, being misobedient, kind of have to do everything right. And I have YSA girls in that same boat and just beating up on themselves, a lot of guilt and shame for not being this and that and the other. And I just appreciate you giving opportunities for people to learn and grow in this area because you're exactly right. What you just said, this is a part of our culture. It's what we do. And we love it so much. And we're so grateful for the opportunity to serve. But experiencing what I experienced last summer from my release, never on my radar. Yeah, It actually really threw me out of my game. A lot of really hard emotions and a lot of feelings. And it's okay to have those. And then it's okay to move on. But it's also okay to acknowledge that this was really hard. And the message that I got through inspiration and just kind of studying and learning and and trying to find some peace was that you need to find ways to serve outside of church callings. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge aha moment for me because that's where I've always served and I love it. And I've always volunteered and done other things. I'm not saying that, but I tied so much to that calling that, you know, the aftermath was just really difficult. Yeah. And I appreciate how you say that, that, Cause there can be this, this feeling of shame of like, wow, this is like impacting me so strongly. And here we hit, you know, there's the neighbor down the street whose child is battling cancer or there's yeah. the wife who's going through a divorce because of infidelity. And so you sort of right. minimize these things of like, oh, this, I can't believe, you know, I'm struggling with this. And like, you know, all of our lives are so different, but we have to sit with that and just recognize it and feel it. You know, yeah. you can't just dismiss it or bury it and say, well, you know, that's silly, you know, whatever and move on. But just to recognize, wow, this is really hard for me. And this is, and yeah, you got to feel it. So. Right. I also feel like when you give everything you have to something and then maybe it's either cut short or I'm not saying I wasn't appreciated. Don't get me wrong. I don't feel like anybody made me feel that way, but you know, as humans, we kind of have our emotions and, and I almost just felt like there was some, was I not good enough? Like, did I do something wrong? Even though I know I didn't, those are all normal feelings too. When something is maybe cut short, like you said, if I stayed in the four or five years, I would have been sad. There's no question, but I would have felt like I was able to do what I was called to do in this situation. I don't feel like I was 
able to do what I was called to do. I didn't mm-hmm. get to finish what I feel like I had in me to give. Yeah. So tell me about the first Sunday after the release, like, cause this is like when it really hits, especially my experience where it's like, were you in a new ward at that point that you weren't familiar with since you had moved? Right. Exactly. And let me just say one other thing about why I say that's really hard. Okay. If you get released as the Bishop or the Relief Society president or anybody, any calling, you're going to go to the same ward Sunday, right? You're going to show up. Everyone's going to see you. You're going to interact with all your friends. You're going to still go to Sunday school. You're going to go to Relief Society, whatever you aren't, just gone. In the YSA, you literally disappear. Mm-hmm. Like you don't go again. And they're like, oh, please come. We love you so much. We wish you could, you know, come just, you're welcome anytime. I'm like, that's weird. Like you can't do that. Especially mm-hmm. like my husband just getting released from the bishopric. He's not going to just show up every week in the same ward where he's just been released from. I mean, you got to let the new leadership do their thing, right? right? So there's one more level of just these people and these YSA individuals that became such an important part of your life. It's not that you can't text them and let's go to lunch and that kind of thing, but you're just literally gone. Mm -hmm. And so that's another really difficult part of the YSA is just that being in their life. And then now you're not, you know? Yeah. Well, one thing I'll add to that is, you know, what you said just a few minutes ago with, uh, you've got to find ways to serve outside of the calling, which are good, but we fail to recognize just, I mean, I, I get that these callings can be hard and difficult and lots of stresses, but at the same time, you are given service opportunities on a platter and they're offered to you. Like here, right. just come to the church. Here's some people you need to talk. Like it, it comes a little easier to find those. And so the dynamics True. change because of that structure there. But this, mm-hmm. and the same thing, the same dynamic, as you just mentioned, happens with relationships. I remember when I, uh, we moved, I was called in the stake presidency with a new stake president mm-hmm. and we served for two years and then we moved. And so obviously I was being released. And I remember this feeling of like, you know, we were brothers, you know, and like, oh, we'll still chat and talk and good to see, you know, we'll, we'll do all these things together, mm-hmm. but the structure's gone, right? I didn't have right. a Tuesday evening meeting at the stake center where I would connect with them week after week. And exactly. it just goes away. And that's none of the part of the sort of that, the sad part of it is like mm-hmm. these it's gone. Like even, even if you have the best intention of staying in touch and going to lunch once a month or whatnot, but right. life moves on and often it doesn't happen. And so it's okay to sort of mourn the passing of mm-hmm. that dynamic and that those friendships that were there. Absolutely. And even just with your presidency, like you're talking about, you know, I didn't know these women. I had to choose counselors out of eight or nine stakes you know, no temple to go to because the St. George Temple's closed and the Red Cliffs mm-hmm. is still being built. So no, you know, I could go to Cedar and Las Vegas, but just needed to make that decision fairly quickly and didn't have a temple to go to. So lots of prayer and, you know, on my knees and everything else and called three women that I never met before. Mm-hmm. But the minute I met them, there was an immediate connection. And Heavenly Father told me this, like he confirmed when I met them and saw them, this is exactly who's supposed to be in that position. And so we served together not quite two years, one of them's husband passed away during that, like she, literally three months before her husband died suddenly of a stroke at a YSA meeting, if you can believe it. And so there was just this bond between us that we'd gone through hard things together that we shared. And we do go to lunch or dinner or whatever, like maybe once a quarter, yeah, if we right. can, since we've been released. And, you know, we try to check in with each other and stuff, but you're right, that structure's gone. So now that relationship isn't there anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not the same, the weekly 
meetings and getting together on Sundays and all those things. So there are so many layers to this that I have personally not experienced before. Because when I've been in a presidency and been released, I feel like I've been in three, four years and it kind of feels like it's time and I'm kind of ready. But this one, yeah, I mean, I'm still, as you can tell, very yeah. emotional about it. And it's almost been a year ago. Yeah. So it's just been a challenge that I'm trying to get over. But I think that as members of the church, we want to give, we want to serve. And yeah, it's yeah. just been a big change. Is there anything else you would add to, uh, you know, you started to talk about leaving the YSA stake that you were in and, you know, you're just gone because you're not assigned to that stake anymore. Anything on the other side of like going to this new ward and finding your feet again or or finding community there and maybe it's still a struggle. I don't know. It is because we're, we're kind of temporary. We, we were going to build a house and then everything got so crazy with prices here. So we decided Mm. to just chill and and so we're still in a townhouse and we go to this ward and, you know, we don't have children at home. So we're trying to just interact as you do as adults now. And I just feel like I'm kind of a guest in the ward still. I just haven't quite found my footing. Like you just said, you know, I just haven't. And part of that's because I know we're not going to be here very long, but I also just feel like I've kind of had to go through my own process of being a little bit bugged and going to sacrament and maybe leaving and not staying all for the meeting sometimes. Luckily, we went right into summer and all of our kids live away. So we spent a lot of time away last summer. And so that helped us to just go to church at their wards or, you know, wherever else and not really feel like we had to go to a brand new ward that we didn't want to go to. Nothing against the ward. It was us, you know, our feelings. But so that's still been a little bit of a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just a final question I have for you is just like, and this is the thing, like it's so easy for us in our culture. We want to like make it all better, right? Like, oh, mm-hmm. well, I do these, you know, I volunteer now and it's all good and I'm happy. Like, but I, I think it's so important and something I don't think we do as well in our culture, just like sit in the hurt of it all. And so yeah, just articulate as we end here, like, what do you miss about these, those leadership roles or that one in particular? And then what still hurts? I miss all of it because, you know, there are certain personalities that just really love to serve and that's how I am. And that's how I've been my whole life. And, you know, people are like, oh, there's all these meetings and whatever. And I just don't mind that. I love going and interacting and offering what I have to give and, you know, what my heavenly father has blessed me with. I feel like I'm a really good teacher. I'm good in front of people. I know how to speak well. So I feel like I have a lot to offer. And so I miss that I got put in special needs mutual, which I absolutely love. I have a friend who works there. And so she, you know, put our name in and and asked us to be in special needs. So I love that. It's just a totally different element. And then my husband and I just got called to be the gospel doctrine teachers together as a couple. So that's, I think going to help, but I miss that. I miss opportunities in relief society to listen to all the comments and to the lessons. And then maybe at the very end, raise my hand as a 59 year old mother of five or you know, maybe some more wisdom in the gospel. And then five or six girls come up afterwards. They're like, I wasn't even going to come to church today, but what you said was exactly what I needed to hear or whatever. I mean, you know, it wasn't like that every time, but just feeling inspired by Heavenly Father to lead and guide. I had one really amazing girl who was on the fence about the church and I could just tell she was struggling. And I said, would you like to go to lunch? And she said, I would love that so much. So we went to lunch one day and we talked and I shared my heart. I felt like I 
prayed and I said, Heavenly Father, what do I need to do to be prepared for this lunch? And he said, you're prepared, you're ready. So I went to lunch with her and I just shared things that came to me. And we got together a month later and she said, I've decided to stay. And I said, why? And she said, because you're the first leader who's ever told me I had a choice. And I was just like, these are just things that I've been prepared for, right? Like, Like I'm ready to share what I have to offer. And so anyway, that's what's hard is that that may never come again. I don't know. Everyone's getting younger and younger. All the leadership is becoming younger and younger, which is awesome. But what about those of us that are still young and ready to, you know, to serve and have so much to offer? Are we already putting out, being put out to pasture? I mean, you know, I'm still too young to feel that way. So anyway, I miss all of it. I do spend a lot of time with my husband, which I love. And the one thing I wanted to share, if you were going to ask me what I've learned from it is my relationship with my savior is the most important thing. Church, going to church is important, but that's not... At the end of the day, if I didn't ever go to church again, but I had an amazing relationship with my Savior, I would feel really good about that because through all of this, that's where I've turned and that's where I've received relief is from Him. And so my relationship with Him is stronger than it's ever been. And for that, I'm grateful. That concludes this episode of the Leading Saints podcast. Hey, listen, would you do me a favor? You know, everybody's got that friend who listens to a ton of podcasts, and maybe they aren't aware of Leading Saints. So would you mind taking the link of this episode or another episode of Leading Saints and just texting it to that friend? You know who I'm talking about, the friend who always listens to podcasts and is always telling you about different podcasts. Well, it's your turn to tell that friend about Leading Saints. So share it. We'd also love to hear from you. If you have any perspective or thought on this episode, you can go to leadingsaints.org and actually leave a comment on the episode page or reach out to us at leadingsaints.org contact. Remember, up your teaching game by listening to the David Farnsworth presentation by visiting leadingsaints.org 14. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness. The loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away, and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.